Welcome to episode three of From Adventurer to Innkeeper, a podcast for all LARPers. I am your host, Martin, and we will be talking about live-action roleplay events and experiences. Throughout this series, we will talk about specific LARPs and also more general topics surrounding LARPs. Today, we're going to look at some of the applications of LARP, both from a therapy aspect and from the self-exploration aspect. This can be anything from using LARP to examine psychological conditions, or using it as direct therapy, or using LARP to examine your own choices and possibilities. This show is for both new LARPers through to seasoned veterans, and we will be implementing a scale to let you know the main focus of the episodes. Episodes will air every odd month, so January, March, May, July, September, November, and will be approximately one to two hours in length. As I mentioned, every episode is for everyone, but some will focus on uh, some will focus more on issues which will resonate more with one group or another. And as such, we have a scale which lets you know what the f- the focus of the topics is, and possibly the depths of some of the various bogs and dungeons we might wade into. Uh, the scale for this episode will be the Town Crier. As episodes cover a unique er- as this episode covers a unique area of LARPs, I've arranged for two guests uh, to help me via phone to discuss some of these topics and and how these concepts have impacted LARP and LARPers. So with me via phone today, I have Bastion, who will be talking some about the applications of LARP in areas such as therapy, and Peter, who will be talking about how LARP can be used to explore different aspects of yourself. So thank you both for joining me today. Oh, welcome. Happy to be here. for having me. Um, so before we begin an open discussion, let me first uh, ask you guys to tell our listeners a little bit about yourself and your involvement with LARP. So, uh, Bastian, if you would like to go first. Yeah, uh, my name is uh, Bastian Revstrup from Denmark, 34 years old. Uh, been LARPing for around 27 years by now. I've been a player, helper, and organizer at most genres and styles and sizes by now. So I have a broad Thing. And nowadays, mostly work with LARP more than play LARP in itself. Come from a background in both security and event management, but gone over on cognitive uh, therapy. I'm a cognitive therapist, a coach, and a soon-to-be psychologist. So that's my angle on it. Excellent. Well, thank you very much. And uh, Peter, if you'd like to introduce yourself. Um, hi, I'm Peter. I'm uh, 19. I'm from the United States. Um, I've been LARPing for nearly two years now. Um, I've only been a player and I've played three events um, all by the same company, but I'm branching out into more LARPs soon. Uh, so yeah, I'm more from the, oh, and I'm a transgender male and I've used LARP to explore that a lot. Excellent. Well, thank you very much for that, Peter. Um, also, uh, Bastian, as this is your area and it will be sort of the underlying theme to everything that we're discussing today, could you please define what emotional and mental safety in LARP is and tell us a bit about, uh, through your experience, how people sort of process this? Yeah, um, it's a very, very big topic. I'll try and shorten it a lot down, but for a basic, uh, what I consider emotional uh, safety at LARP. Uh, is that people are, for instance, when you have work groups, when you are there as a player, um, however you're connected with it, that you have a good experience and a feeling from it, that you, for instance, you know, don't get, don't feel that you're left behind if you're part of the organizer team, that you as a player don't fear uh, not doing enough or not being good enough, uh, 
and that some people have different kinds of challenges can be things like anxiety or people might have heavy periods when they go to a lab and often there will be a easy way to at least alleviate some of that if it's taken into account beforehand and you try and you know work that in so their experience is tailored to them with a, a little bit of help and support uh, mainly leaving out things like uncertainty and not knowing what to expect are some of the main factors I often work with to try and make things a lot more transparent, make uh, better expectation alignments, and then also to make sure that work dynamics and such are optimal for uh, NPCs and organizers as well as just making good for players. So that's the main approach I do to it in a short one. The second part was about how people process it, uh, I believe you said? Uh, yes, yes, how people yeah. sort of process the general the, 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 their general well-being through a LARP, I guess. Yeah. Um, but what my experience is, is that people at a LARP often think that they're when they're at the LARP, then they have like 18 or 24 or 72 hours or something to get maximum uh, payout from the event, which means that they will often uh, race to experience everything. Skip on sleep and skip on food. Uh, try to be at all scenes, experience all the bleed, all the drama, and all the experiences, all the great events, which often results in that you run yourself extremely hard. And, and again, lack of sleep, food, and drinks does mean that you take in things more. And a lot of laughs nowadays are based on, for instance, drama and personal relations that can be like playing in a safe way on abusive relations between family members and such. And having been very, or having stressed a lot, or not slept or eaten, those things can get very easily under the skin uh, for a lot of people. Because despite that my character is uh, abusive to your character, then it is still my mouth that says things that needs to be processed by your mind and then put out to the character. But it still goes through you. So a lot of people will have a buildup of emotional and mental stress during labs. And that's some of the things you can alleviate with tools and techniques to make that a bit easier. Well, excellent. That was well, the base. Um, yeah, excellent. Th thank, thank you for that. I think that that gives us sort of a good baseline for for starting the discussion. Um, and what I'd like to do is I'd like to sort of open the discussion up to to both of you with with um, using LARP as an exploration of the self. In other words, you know, exploring, for example, gender, exploring sexuality. Um, you know, possibly exploring the darker sides of, of relationships and things like that and sort of see what you what you think have been some of either your experiences with that or also um, how you think that LARP is a good vehicle for getting that done. Yeah. So. Uh, would, would you like uh, me to start out or... Martin? Uh, who, who, whoever, whoever would like to start. If, uh, if, if you want to start out, Bastion, feel free. Um, I think that, oh. that Peter probably has a little bit on this topic as well. So, I was thinking letting Peter go first. I just yeah. put up a I lot. I so. don't want to interrupt anyone accidentally. No, no. Uh, <laughs> oh, yeah, no, 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 so no. Go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah. Um, well, using LARP for exploration, a lot of LARP communities tend to be very accepting and a lot of LARPs have safety mechanics um, set up to create a non-discriminatory space. Um, and I personally find that really, really important. 
the first LARP I went to was an entire week. Um, and that was also the, um, it was also early into my transition from female to male. So that was um, my first time having an entire week where everyone used my correct pronouns, everyone um, seemingly just respected me as whatever gender I identified as. Um, and I didn't feel extremely pressured to necessarily also then pre present extremely masculine to be able to be considered valid in my gender identity. Um, and playing a male character who then no one questioned if he was male no one has any no one tries to step in and be like oh you can't play a character of x gender because you're this gender no one does that and it's a really great way to get to um explore different genders and um, just different situations that you might not feel safe or have the opportunity to explore in your actual life. And so being able to do that in a safe, more contained area um, can be really important to finding what really does work for you. So I think it's interesting that you mentioned that one of the first international LARPs I went to um, was a LARP uh, by the now defunct Joback Studios called Fairweather Manor. And um, it's essentially Downton Abbey um, set during um, like the early the early years of the like right before the war and then it eventually made it to world war one um and the year that the year that we were there um it was set in 1917 and one of the characters that was there um the character was emily or uh, emily pankhurst who's this famous british suffragette and the person playing uh miss pankhurst did such a fantastic job of it that although he identifies completely as male in his normal life, nobody knew. <laughs> and at, at the end of the LARP, when sort of, you know, the, the, the LARP officially ended and he pulled off the wig for the first time, I think everybody in the room was completely like, what? <laughs> Like just in, in a really sort of positive way, just really completely shocked. And I mean, got so many compliments on, on having just done such an amazing job of sort of stepping out of his normal, his normal, you know, role and taking on this character. And I think everyone just really sort of gave him the kudos for it. Cause it's one of those LARPs where there's not a lot of opportunity to explore that because you're stuck in this weird sort of stuffy British, you know, 1900s Edwardian sort of society. So to see that kind of exploration of it in that was just really amazing. Um, but I mean, I, I remember your character from, from 
New World. Um, and I mean, that was that was sort of an amazing an amazing step, I think, because you had, if I remember correctly, half transformed werewolf. Yeah. Yeah. He's the only character I've played so far. I played him at all three events. Um, yeah. He's a werewolf that drinks something. (laughs) Excuse me. That. Okay. Apparently my voice is deciding to have voice cracks today. That's lovely. Sorry. It's okay. It's totally fair. Uh, Hmm. Yeah, he is a half-transformed werewolf. Basically, he drank something he shouldn't have, and now he's physically trapped between his two forms. And it took me three days of playing him at my first event to realize the reason I was so attracted to the idea of having a character who was physically stuck between two things is because that's how I felt in my transition at the time. So I used him a lot for that and becoming more comfortable with the idea of not being able to hide something that makes you insecure. And so instead just growing to love it. Um, And even though it might be something that other people might discriminate against you for being proud of what you've been through and who you are. I think it's a really beautiful thing. And I can only agree with you that that is a a really awesome thing at LARP. And especially if the emotional safety and the safe space around it has been set up to uh, facilitate that, that is an amazing thing for people to be able to both play and learn a bit with. Um, Because I think exactly as, as you demonstrate really, really well, that a lot of people sometimes make a uh, what's it a um, uh, what's it a substitute for something that they have in life that they might be struggling a bit with uh, could be social things could be something about identity or gender or a lot of things and then turn that into a, a game trade potentially so they can kind of play a bit around with it and get the feeling of having maybe a foot in both worlds and how the the feedback is on that um, and to be just to also do, say that clearly is that I am a, a binary uh, standard kind of guy so it is my perception of how they benefited from it I would never presume that I know because you had the experience and I'm hopefully enough aware of my privileges that I can't fake that one um, but I really think that the feedback I've heard on those things I heard about is amazing um, so I definitely agree on that one I think it's important to play around with traits and personality and and personal growth and I've seen, I have seen though a few times where people try to take it all the way over into self-therapy, where it might get a bit uh, wobbly or not entirely beneficial in that area at least. But in the way there, amazing. I can only endorse that uh, all the way. So one of the things that, you know, I've, I've had not directly experience with because it, it's just never come up, but it's always been interesting to me that one of the questions that you often get in, in especially the casting documents. Um, and it, it's been more so for, for the European LARPs than it has been for the U.S. ones. Um, but I think we got the question in New World as well, which was, you know, um, is your character open to, to, you know, what kind of relationships is your character open to in the sense that, you know, are you open to you know, a, a, you know, having a love interest that's of the same gender that you are having a love interest that, 
that may not be the same gender, having a love interest that that you know is multiple people at once kind of thing. And I've always found that interesting because I've I've always generally identified as for the most part a, a heterosexual male and I've I've always in LARP sort of felt like I, I'm happy to explore what I what I certainly won't normally do in you know my everyday life. So I've always kind of answered the questionnaires as as I'm open for pretty much anything. And to use that sort of as as that area of of examining that aspect of of my own personality. Um and uh, you know sort of what 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 are your guys thoughts on that um peter you want to go first yeah sure um so for me that's a bit of a that's not really something that uh is outside of so i personally identify as a pansexual or a bisexual um male and with that, I, um, so when there's the talk of relationships, um, there aren't a lot of ones like that where I wouldn't be able to experience that in my day-to-day -day life because I do date people of all genders. And um, even though I've noticed I tend to play my characters um, as much more homosexual leaning uh, rather than bisexual, but I think that's just um, the environment and because of the other characters that are there um, as potential interests. Um, but I definitely see how that could be um, a good way to open yourself up to new experiences and especially um, trying to maybe put yourself in the mindset, um, especially if it's a game that does play a little bit with the discrimination, which I know New World does occasionally just a little bit, um, that uh, I could definitely see that being a really good way to um, see what other people are going through in their day to day that you might not be. But yeah, that's kind of where I am on that. Um, makes perfect sense, I think. Um, I see that the, the thing when uh, being asked about, for instance, what kind of relations one is up for. For me, it's not just a matter of whether one wants to play one relation or another. Um, because to me, it is also an underlying question of what are your personal boundaries. And when they bring up one like, you know, what are your personal boundaries on, for instance, flirting or playing intimate relations, um, and orientations and things like that, that also enables a bit more other questions about personal boundaries. Um, because the more uh, that we can say that it's a flowing thing to talk about personal boundaries, the easier it is to set them and to feel that it's okay to have personal boundaries. Like some people uh, really like not to have, play with the themes like um, death or with themes like uh, illnesses or uh, like personal loss and things like that. And if we already earlier established that you can play relations how you want and you are absolutely the master of your boundaries, then it's also easier later on to say that, okay, I could find this, this and that. And that was cool. To also later say, then I'd also, if possible, like to avoid this theme or I'd like to have more interaction with this theme to be a bit more within your own boundaries and still, so you choose how much you're within those. 
and how much you go at the edge of your comfort zone. I want to challenge yourself because that is a thing that is always up to the, the single person. And they can, of course, ask for help with it. Like, I've never tried this before. It sounds really interesting. I'm a bit on the, you know, thin ice. So if anybody's up for helping, playing with it, cool. I would love that. Um, and also to back down at some point, if they feel like tried it for half a day, wasn't me, cool. Then, you know, you have the experience, hopefully a good one. And then you go over to something that you have more uh, fun and which is more giving to yourself. Um, and that is a, I think one of the beauties about, for instance, the, the whole relations and talking about that makes way for more boundaries and more open talk about what you like and what don't you like to make sure that any experience is tailored to your uh, preferences and actually also to your, to a degree, like mental um, capacity or what you kind of are in the mood for or lust for. So Peter, you brought up something that I think could be worth exploring a little bit. Um, you mentioned the discrimination aspect in LARP and especially then in New World, uh, in New World Magic Schoola, and they had, I believe, a similar sort of take on discrimination for College of Wizardry, which was there's no discrimination in the game on, you know, actual, you know, sex, gender, race, ethnicity, but, you know, feel free to discriminate the heck out of, you know, that person's a werewolf or that person's a fae. And to sort of bring that aspect of it into the LARP. And, uh, you know, especially since you, you played that character sort of stuck in between. How did that... How did you feel that came into play with your character? So my character, uh, his name was Sebastian, in case I just mentioned him by name. Um, he... He knew that he didn't have a lot of traditional opportunities in the world. He knew that any place going forward, um, he, it was always going to be an uphill battle because it is very obvious that he's a werewolf. Um, and he's not the brightest about hiding it either. He's really not that bright. Or he can barely read. Um, and so he knew he was very, very limited in his opportunities. And so trying to find the opportunities that he did have and learn, okay, this is what I can do and this is what I can excel at. Um, and really trying to find um, spaces where he felt safe and where he um, felt that he would be able to actually do something with his life, which is why one of the big reasons that he just stuck to uh, cryptozoology. But um, at the same time, I did recently get some play in with someone who was um, openly against werewolves and Luguru. Um, and that was really interesting um to have this sort of other character that is so steadfastly against you um because a lot of times the characters that Sebastian interacted with um were ones that he ended up accidentally ch maybe changing their opinion of werewolves a little bit because 
the general discrimination against them is, oh, they're dangerous. But uh, he was kind of like a golden retriever puppy. So it's a little bit difficult to go, oh, they're all dangerous and vicious when he's running up to you going play fetch with me. So um, he did have a little bit of success with um, changing some people's perceptions, but it was definitely one of those things where he knew, okay, this is always going to be an uphill battle for me. I'm always going to be viewed first as werewolf versus myself. Um, and it was, um, something that he did end up leaning into and that was really helpful for him, um, to not try to downplay the fact that, yeah, no, he is this species, question mark. I don't really know what to call it. That is discriminated against. Um, but he came to just fully embrace that and be like, yes, I am a werewolf and I can also do this thing. Versus I can, I'm a werewolf, but I can do this. makes good sense it's like the, the heritage and everything that you stood for that you would like to have accepted and, and your nature and where you come from as, as i get it at least yeah. um it is i think that's a beauty because uh, when we have uh, when for instance playing with things like uh, prejudices and racism and stuff uh, when i was working at college of wizardry i tried to uh, implement a small rule of thumb saying that if something can be changed in five minutes then please don't, you know, uh, kind of hammer on it or be racist about it. Like a person cannot change their skin color in five minutes. They cannot change if their nose might be a bit crooked to one side. Um, but if a person has put up their hair so it looks like a fountain with two unicorns in it, that can be changed within five minutes. So that is a thing that you can then choose to go on because it's a character thing that can be adjusted or a choice of, for instance, T-shirt for the character or sayings that you develop for the character because they are separated from the person behind then you can play with those power dynamics and racism and prejudices while not targeting the person um, who is let's say carrying or playing the character and because they are interesting dynamics but they need to be put in a, a safe framework and then they're amazing to have fun with yeah so the the house that i was part of for college of wizardry we don't know how much of how, how much of the behind the scenes you saw on this uh, bastion but but um so it was myself as one of the prefects and then we had Lucy who was the other prefect and Lucy's character was absolutely specious like 100% absolutely specious um if you weren't pure blood you know pure blood human she wanted nothing to do with you um we had a uh class on uh, you know magical devices and we were supposed to come up with devices that would uh in this case help the werewolf population and you know lucy's method of coming up with a device to help the werewolf population was oh i've invented this device so that every time they're about to change into a werewolf it automatically gives them an injection of silver into their blood which you know of course is deadly to a werewolf so how helpful <laughs> you're right but you know it will prevent the change so therefore it's a good device in in her character's mind and it was interesting to play against her because it turns out we had a person in our house that wasn't 100 human who knew that when they joined the house 
and then spent the first like day being afraid of talking to anyone in the house because they were afraid that everybody was like Lucy. And it wasn't until we sort of brought them in and had them interact with the rest of the house that they're like, oh, wow, the rest of you aren't like her at all. And we're like, no, no, just 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 ignore her ramblings for now, because she's just going to ramble on. Um, but then, of course, we we. I want to say we lost the house cup completely, if I remember correctly, came in dead last. And Lucy was getting up to give her speech and she starts by. She, she starts the speech fine for like 30 seconds and then starts going into all this raving sort of, you know, it, it, it would have been, we, we would have won if it hadn't been for all the, the non-humans in the house and all the non-human conspiracies. And at that point, I mean, both myself and my character, it's one of the few times that I've actually, College of Wizardry is one of the few LARPs where I've actually like had a lot of bleed, interestingly enough. Um, and it just got to the point where I'm like, you know what? Forget this. And I just cast a silence spell on her. And, you know, one of the rules is you're not allowed to cast spells outside of class without the professor's permission. And, like, all of the professors are standing behind me. <laughs> and I'm about to turn around and apologize to them. And I think every single professor to a man and was just standing applauding. And I'm just like, oh, thank God. And the entire room burst into applause. It was actually sort of a really amazing moment of, of fighting back against that kind of, that, that kind of, of, you know, species and racism, whatever you want to call it. And, and negative traits. Yeah. And, and it was so, it, it, it felt so vindicating both for my character and for myself. I absolutely get that. It's a, it's kind of like a feel good justice moment because nobody uh, really you know fans of you know hearing hate talk and stuff like that. So the person standing on the balcony directly running that off, um, and then getting shut up midways clearly you know with demonstrations to no we don't accept that is a feel good moment for basically everybody present. So that also again plays a bit with the emotional thing also because you know Lucy you know that she would like to be okay with that. So that's again the the reading your co players also. Yeah, and, and this was something that we, we, you know, she and I had pre-negotiated the scene, so so she knew what was going to happen. But it, it it was just one of those where I think she dug really deep and sort of went to that extra level of of radicalized sort of anti-non-human sentiment. And you know, I'm I'm one of those people that even in my real uh, like my my regular day life, um, my my philosophy has always been: if you're willing to accept the consequences of your action, for example. I have no problem stepping into the middle of a a neo-Nazi rally and beating the crap out of a Nazi for personal reasons. You know, my my family, I, I lost family in the Holocaust. But I'm 100% willing to accept that that action is illegal. I am 100% willing to go to jail for doing it. <laughs> yeah. which, is, which is why the, the, the scene with Lucy was so much fun, because in a sense I got to do it without having the negative consequences. <laughs> no, playing a bit uh, outside of reality's normal limitations. Yeah, being the hero for a moment there for a large crowd. Yeah, no, that is absolutely one of the cool things because you you get to both be the hero or the villain if you would like at a lab. You can play you know everything at the extremes and in between, 
And then at times, you know, when you play the, the really close and intimate, that's yeah, where the emotional safety, just having that in the back of your head, kind of play, pays out a lot because you can play more intensely then. So, so I think that kind of leads, I guess, in, in essence, into using LARP as sort of a a vehicle for also personal development. Um, you know, the ability to explore aspects of of your own psyche or aspects of your own persona that, you know, either you've you've had chances to explore before, but you never really had a chance to to go to in depth with or or that you've had you know, you've always wanted to go and, and see what you would do if you were put into this this kind of situation. So, and any thoughts on that from, from either of you? Yeah, um, I can put out a bit with that, start with that one. Um, I think that the, the entire framework for LARPs and being able to play whoever you want is a amazing one for testing also personalities out and seeing kind of what flows well with you and what kind of things you get good and bad feedback on. I've worked with the young people at a point where they were a bit socially challenged, where we went to lab, for instance, with a them, uh, me and a small group of them, like three or four at a time, and then decided, planned with them beforehand, to plan to have three personalities at this lab, just a day lab for six, seven hours, to try and see how they get different responses on being different kinds of people and developing what they want to be as a person. For instance, most of them had different kinds of challenges, like it could be borderline or ADHD or other things like that, that made some social interactions more challenging for them. And this gave them a safe testing ground for being both a bit of a fast talker or being a bit of a reflective one or being a loudmouth or being a contemplative, you know, well-thought person in a framework where they don't get judged for it, where in real life, if they try to be three or four different persons during a day, they would likely be called fake uh, and, you know, trying hard and imitating and have negative feedback on it. But here it's a safe testing ground for that, which helps their personal development a lot on that regard. Yeah, just a one basic example of it. Yeah, um, I know that uh, I've used Slurp because in my day-to-day -day life, I'm very, very afraid of like the consequences that come with things. Like I've never been much of a troublemaker. So Sebastian is all of the troublemaker. Um, I've always done really, really well in class and all of that. So he does horribly in class to the point I made it. He can barely read. So he's dumb as a brick, but I love him to death. Um, and he somehow still gets through the classes. And so he is the biggest troublemaker. He managed to get detention for the rest of the year for one thing. Um, and it's a lot of fun to get to, yes, in LARP it does have consequences like detention, but um, being able to play with that and have this idea of um, that it is uh, safe place to experiment with something that you know isn't going to follow you forever into your actual life like experimenting with well what if i was more of a troublemaker what if i was um less academically focused what if i was um more outspoken about my opinions and things like that and getting to explore that and 
see how other people react to it and see if that fits you better than how you act in your day-to-day. And then at the end of the weekend or the day or however long your LARP is, um, being able to have that kind of wrapped and it not follow you into your day-to-day life unless you choose to implement it in your day-to-day life. You know, it's it's kind of funny because when I first started doing the international LARPs, not so much the ones that I did in the U.S., which were at least initially always sort of smaller, you know, one-day kind of shots. But when I first started doing the international LARPs, um, so Fairweather was my first one, and I purposefully chose, um, when we got the character selection, I purposefully selected all characters that I shared at least one or two personality traits with so that I knew that I always had a fallback if I didn't like where the character was going. I could always fall back on this one aspect of of myself. Um, so that, that first character, and I think I got my third choice, um, was the the American who was in love with the the eldest daughter of the American branch of the Fairweather family. They were childhood friends kind of thing. Um, But his career path was in essence, very similar to my own real life career path. He'd been to college. um, He had joined the military. um, He became an aviator in the military. um, The character had lived in Chicago for a while and th- then went off and joined the Lafayette Escadrille because that's just what pilots did. And, you know, my, my own background is, is I'm, I'm Swedish by birth. And after high school, I, I went home to do my mandatory military service, decided that I liked it and, and signed up for a full tour. Um, so I, I kind of fell back into the old, the old Martin as a naval officer character in essence um but i mean i have a pilot's license so i could intelligently talk about the flying aspect i'd lived in chicago so i could intelligently talk about chicago and it was funny because one of the comments that i got from a lot of the other people in that larp was everybody knew the second you walked into a room where there were other military officers because they all gravitated to you. It was, it didn't matter if they outranked you or not. It was like you were the military officer in charge because you had done it. (laughs) And it was completely unintentional. I didn't even intend it to be that way. I just selected those types of characters for that LARP because I knew that I could do that aspect of the character sort of without thinking about it. And it let me explore other areas of, you know, myself, you know, how, how would courting this daughter of this, you know, supposed rich American, you know, branch of the Fairweather family go when, you know, the social classes were like really different. I mean, my guy came from a poor, poor American background and her family were, you know, Southern plantation owners. So it was, it was this really interesting sort of I don't know it was an interesting choice and it's a choice that I've made a few times in LARP where I've chosen characters 
where I have a fallback position if the character isn't going the way that I want the character to go. So I guess sort of what what are your thoughts on that? I think that's it's always a really good idea when playing uh, lab, especially if it's one that's a bit more uh, demanding, for instance, to have a kind of failsafe or backup. Like for a character, uh, it's always ideal, as you say, to have a trait or two that you can rely on. But I also always recommend that you have a, a you know, safe haven buddy uh, that you go uh, to the lab with, or maybe if you don't know anybody, coordinate with somebody that if things are, you know, either not fun or a bit heavy or whatever, then you can always uh, go to that one to have a, a safe uh, both play and potentially if you need some out of game time uh, to have a talk with, to be sure that you have a, a fallback, like having, if you need to do a speech, then having it written in your back pocket. So there's always a, a safety thing that you can trust or rely on no matter what the, the entire framework is set up for. It's my basic thought for a start, so, yeah. Um, I totally lost my train of thought. Give me a second here. Sorry. <laughs> no worries. Not a problem. Um, no. Oh, right. There we go. Um, yeah, uh, the way that I sort of do that uh, is I sort of... Um, before the LARP plan, what do I want to get out of playing this character is the big thing that I try to highlight. Like, why am I choosing to play this character? Is it to explore, like, me personally, I use LARP to um, tackle individual issues that I might be dealing with. Um, so, say I have a character that's um, for, uh, feeling like I talk too much or something like that. Um, if I have that specific issue and I'm building my character around that, um, then definitely making sure that my fallback is always connected to, well, what am I trying to explore with this character? Um, and that's just how I sort of deal with, um, maybe this character isn't going the way I want. Um, and it can also be really, really helpful to reach out to other people in the LARP. Like if halfway through you have this one theme that you're really, really wanting to explore with the character and you've tried to have a couple scenes with it and they just haven't landed, maybe talking to a couple of the people out of character, um, that you've gotten along with play-wise um, and being like, hey, I'm really trying to get this aspect of play. Would you be willing to help me out here? Um, and I find that can be very, very helpful if you um, just pull a couple people aside for that because even at, if at the beginning of the game you all stated what you're trying to get out of it and you tried to work out scenes and stuff, um, sometimes the intent of something just gets lost when it becomes too big or there's just too much going on because there tends to be a lot happening at LARPs and it's very, very easy to um, lose track of what you were trying to get out of something. So, so I think that's, I, mean, I think that's actually really interesting. And I think that's a, a you know, it leads to, to, other topics, you know, pre-negotiation is one thing that a lot of LARPs have have really sort of 
brought up to the forefront, especially in 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 recent years, and, and the bigger LARPs have done quite a bit of of work with that. Where you know you go in and you reach out to people before you even get there, and you sort of say, "Hey, look, I'd love to have this kind of scene with you, or I'd love to, you know, have it where we do this thing together, or things like that." And and I think it's a really useful tool. Um, because it, it no, I think this. Sorry, yeah. uh, I was going to say I think it's a really useful tool because it lets you it lets you sort of determine some of those aspects you want to explore in advance and kind of who you're doing it with. Um, I do want to I do want to actually get back also to your your comment about um, about a safety person, but I think we can we can finish or having someone else that you go to a LARP with. But I think um, let's let's finish off this topic first, though. So so go ahead, Bastian. Yeah, that's uh, because I think the uh, the interesting another interesting part there is also that I've uh, I've been playing over most of Europe and seen different cultures approach on it, and I've I've seen that usually I can very roughly divide people into groups like one where they are in the mind of the character and play the character one hundred percent by going into a scene and then just putting the character in the scene as a character would do. Uh, being entirely authentic to the vision they have of the character, where others I've experienced, they go into a scene and then they're 80% in the character and they're 20% at a meta thinking level, like analyzing the scene and thinking, okay, there are two players over there perhaps who would uh, have a really fun scene if this might happen or there's a player in the other corner that would enjoy a different kind of scene. And then considering and adapting to the, the scene before them instead of adapting to the own characters like authentic, like deep portraits, where I think there's definitely advantages and disadvantages to both, where one is maybe a bit more facilitating for the larger scene, being the one where you do the, the slight meta thinking, um, where the other one creates more authentic characters, uh, a bit where when the character comes in and you know that they play like that, then you know that you can expect exactly what the character is and not a, let's say, slightly adjusted thing to make uh, the scene different or better for others instead which I think at, at that point is a very big difference between cultures right now. And, and I think that's very true. I mean, I, I would have to say that I probably tend to be the character that's more 80% character and 20% meta mm -hmm. in the sense that I'm always kind of looking out for the other characters. And I kind of view that as a, as a side effect of play to lift. Um, you know, I want to make certain that everybody that's there is enjoying what they're doing and, and having fun with the game. And if that means that, you know, I take 10 minutes to step aside from my character and go over and help facilitate another scene, then I think that gives back so much more to the LARP. Uh, but at the same time, I can also see where, you know, the the other the other aspect there was a LARP I did last year where where because of the setting of the LARP it it enabled being in character one hundred percent of the time because yeah. it was it, it was a LARP called uh, Outbound Hope and it was um, basically Battlestar Galactica we played it on a on a decommissioned U.S. naval destroyer. And both myself and the guy who played the captain, so I was the XO of the ship, both myself and the guy who played the captain, and I think about, 
maybe five or six others were all um, were all either veterans or active duty military personnel. And it was just really easy for us to go straight into that sort of military mindset and just maintain it throughout the entirety of the LARP. Um, so, but as a result of doing that, I also didn't meta the game. So there were instances where I probably could have stepped out of the character and helped lift up others in, in, in other ways that just didn't occur to me in that particular game setting. Um, so, so yeah, I, I can definitely see that, that sort of dichotomy in play, if you will. And that's um, a very short comment. I'll give it on to yeah. Peter. Um, because that also gives uh, underlines the whole thing with that you choose the experience you want to have at a lab. Um, and if you want the full 100% immersion and not be considering extra much other people, because even people who play, uh, you know, fully authentic and immersed also consider others, of course. It's not an ego trip, but uh, in a slightly less extreme degree possibly. But both of them can play to lift and all, but it's again choosing your style of play. And I'll pass it to Peter if uh, you have something interesting. Um, yeah, I, um, when I play, I tend to be the hundred percent immersion and, um, I'm trying to figure out a good balance of, um, being able to lift up other people as well. And I think that, um, Sebastian was a good character for that, that it just kind of naturally happened. Um, because maybe if people were having a more stressful time, um, Sebastian is just a very friendly character. So if I saw people just sitting by their lonesome, I would go and talk to them. And that's just something that my character would do. And so I think that that managed to help. Um, but at the same time, I know I definitely missed some things where it was like, oh, this person's trying to get this out of this scene. Um, and I realized this after the LARP's over when it doesn't really help to realize it. Um, and, um, but when I was in the scene, I was 100% in character and just sort of reacting to things as he would. And he's so bad at focusing. So trying to keep, um, like, yeah, I don't metagame for sure. I'm very, very bad at metagaming um, because when I get into a character, I just want to stay in the character as much as possible. Um, I'm definitely one of those who skips out on sleep. But that's okay. <laughs> it absolutely is. It's, uh, it's a thing to be aware of. And I think even when people know it, as you also say, it doesn't necessarily mean that, you know, it's going to be adjusted because we also all know how to live healthy and smart and fitness and good and all, but none really manage to. We kind of do what we can with what we got. So, yeah. Um, so I'm definitely more on the half of um, trying to be as in character as I can be. And so, um, it can be really, really uh, I know that I do miss out on opportunities to help lift others play and I'm working on how do I find a good balance of that. Um, so I just think that's really interesting that we're both complete opposites on that end of um, the 80-20 versus the 100% in. 
Um, but you can definitely, even with that style of play, um, negotiation does come up pretty easily because there is in a lot of LARPs, at least that I've heard, um, I've only played in one, so I can't 100% speak on this, but there is a very, very easy way to just quick pop out a character and be like, hey, I want to do X, Y, and Z. Are you good with that? And they can respond yes or no and then you can hop back in and be completely in character so um i definitely had that happen um and pre-negotiating like what you want can be really interesting and can lead to a lot of play you don't expect like um martin i don't know if you remember but the entire plot at um new world magic scala 11 um with merrick our yes. vampire mind magic professor being on trial yes uh yeah uh that all none of that was planned it was literally uh his player came up to me during workshops before game and said hey my character's wand is a bone i think it would be really funny if your character stole it at some point and so just a little thing like that can create so much play and we ended up getting so many people involved in that because it turned into a big thing of oh my god a teacher murdered a student um. <laughs> yeah, that, that, that was that was actually a really sort of fun storyline yeah it was really interesting and definitely i did not expect it to go that much because like the first night it happened i'm running around holding like this character's wand in my mouth i don't know where he went so i'm just running around while like the different houses are having their recruitment parties and i'm just running around like look what i got and everyone's just like oh no what do you have why do you have that you're going to get murdered At this is some happy prediction from friends you get there <laughs> <laughs> well and, and it's funny because uh, you know the the we had a funny one for me too, where one of the characters reached out to me way before, like just, I think right after casting. And, you know, she's like, my character wants to pull a prank and, and you're the, you know, you've, you've one of the people that indicated you're happy with a prank being pulled on them. Let's figure out what the prank is. So the prank wound up being that she put something in my drink the second night or, or the first night at dinner, I think it was. And, turned me into a literal Muppet. Oh my God. I remember this. So we're sitting. Oh my God. That was horrifying. So of course we're going to do a trial now because, you know, we have to have, we have to have this, you know, this magical, you know, judicial hearing. So I'm sitting in this back corner with this Muppet, with this Muppet that I have, and I've got my robes draped over me. And all you see is the Muppet head sticking out. And to make it more sort of, not immediate you know throughout the day my voice kept going more and more sort of into muppet mode <laughs> and kind of like a slowly growing curse kind of thing yeah slowly growing curse kind of thing and and she hadn't seen the muppet so when she walked into the judicial hearing i think the only thing that's what happened were her eyes went wide and she fought so hard to not crack up laughing at that point. But it, it just, there was no way that was going to work. <laughs> um, 
But uh, it, it was an, another awesome scene that was just really, really good pre-negotiation. But I wanted to go back to um, the comment that you mentioned earlier, though, about going to LARPs with a friend or or bringing someone along that you can turn to if things aren't going well. Um, yeah. In the first LARP that my wife did, um, it's a LARP called Legend of the Stars. And it's a really good LARP when it runs. Um, they're having some issues with venue right now, which is the main issue. Um but the first year it ran, the venue that they had was different than the one that they've been running the past few years at. And it was the USS Massachusetts, which is an honest-to-God battleship from World War II. But we had access to the entire museum area, which included you know, a destroyer, a submarine, and, a, um, and an East German Corvette. So, you know, lots of space to play on. And we were eight players, and they were, I want to say, eight staff. <laughs> so one staff per player. And the big issue was that battleships are huge. You know, you, you, can, you can walk around a battleship, and they're designed for hundreds of people. So when there's eight of you you can find areas of the ship where you're not going to see another person for like a good hour or two hours. If you, you know, manage to get lost. And we were lucky in that I had really sort of funded that LARP. Um, there's a whole story behind that that I can get into in another episode. But as a result, I had the ability to, to bring friends along. So we had a group of us. There was, I think five of us total in the group. And, you know, my wife had spent two and a half hours walking around the ship and not seeing another person. So, and this was Friday evening, first night of the LARP. So we get back to the room at the end of the day and she's, she's not really happy, not having a good time, you know, didn't feel involved because the venue was so large and, and, and her character was sort of an outcast from the rest of the group. Her character was a smuggler. The rest of us were all space wizards. Um, it's set in that, you know, galaxy far, far away kind of universe without mentioning it for copyright reasons. <laughs> um, so, you know, I went to the rest of the group and I'm like, look, you know, um, you know, my wife's having, having, you know, not having a good time because she sort of feels like an outcast. Let's, let's, revamp how we're doing this and since we make up you know two-thirds of the group anyways let's find a way to bring her into the group and 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 make it more you know inclusive and fun for everybody and you know as a result of having that discussion with her and as a result of knowing the other or knowing a large percentage of the other players we managed to do that quite effectively and I think that had we not had that ability, she might not have LARPed again because it wouldn't have been a good experience for her. So I think that that the concept of bringing someone with you that you can go to, um, even if it's just a friend that you can talk to, you know, not, not going to a LARP alone in essence, I kind of like that idea. Um, my, my wife and I do a lot of LARP together. 
you know, and, and we don't, we don't often wind up having character interactions, but she also knows that, you know, if there are problems, she can come and talk to me and I'll help her figure out ways to, ways to resolve them. So I, I think that, that that's definitely, you know, something that from a safety and, and emotional safety perspective, um, I, I think yeah. you, you bring up a really good point there, Bastion. I think it's also because a lot of labs have uh, by now implemented more and more uh, kind of a often a safety host or a you know um, nice person to talk to or a lot of different terms for it. But um, the thing is that it's it's hard to know exactly what they're thinking or their how it's going to work or all those things. So the few things that people can do for themselves also uh, to make sure that that you make sure that you're going to be good and okay through it. It's also often a really good consideration to just have at least before the lap. And it doesn't have to be, as, as you say, with your wife. It might be that you just on the, you know, after sign up, you write with some of the people, set up relations and a person you click well with and say, hey, I, you know, I'm looking forward to the lap. Um, I prefer having a, you know, a safe haven buddy. This is the concept. Is that something you might be interested in that we could be that for each other? And it's no obligations, of course, but if things are heavy, I might come over to you and just give you my, our agreed on caricature three winks with an eye and, you know, swing a cat over the head, which means I'm maybe not entirely good right now. And then, yeah. Because when you get stressed, it can be hard to make plans for how to get out of that. But already having an emergency plan is always easier following it instead of having to make it. It's a core mantra there. And it's interesting that you mentioned that because I think the only LARP I haven't done that for was a LARP I did in Finland. And it was mainly because I, you know, I think I was one of two people from the U.S. and I didn't know the other person coming from the U.S. And my wife didn't want to go to the LARP because the, the theme just didn't interest her. And it was one of those where I just went sort of at it alone. And I had a great time, so that, that wasn't ever part of the problem. But it was one of those where had something gone wrong or had, had I not been having a good time, they had, I mean, they had a good, a, a good sort of off game area where they had, I think it was two or three people manned it 24 hours a day because the LARP ran 24 hours a day. Um, so they had, they always had someone out there you could go and talk to and just sit down with, you know, get a cup of hot chocolate or, or tea or whatever it is you wanted to just sort of, you know, let you reset and relax. Um, and you know, had, had I needed it, I, I most certainly would have done so. Um, but it, it was just interesting to me because it was the first time I'd gone to a LARP where I genuinely knew nobody. And I think it's the most, I don't want to say that I was intimidated by the LARP because I wasn't, but if, if I have to describe it in any fashion, I would say it's probably the LARP where I've been the most intimidated just because I knew nobody at the LARP. Well, that removes a bit of a natural safety net to a degree. So it makes very good sense. Yeah. Uh, yeah, my... Oh, go ahead. Sorry. Yeah, uh, my first LARP that I went to, I knew nobody, um, and um, like I only knew about it because um, one of the people who was playing a counselor, uh, Martin, you know, Kristen, um, I followed her um, YouTube and her cosplay for a while, 
and I genuinely did not think that she would like me because I got a very different impression of like her energy level and things. So I showed up um, and had no idea who to talk to. um, And luckily things went fine. And there were obviously, it was structured more like summer camps. There were counselors and stuff. So if something went wrong, you went and talked to one of them. So they did have a very good safety net set up in that aspect. But um, that's definitely a good idea to have sort of a safety person to go to LARPs with now. Um, Coming to run 11, um, thankfully, um, Kristen and I actually did end up getting along really well. Um, And so coming to run 11, I kind of knew, okay, if things go horribly wrong, I can still go talk to her and everything is going to be fine. Um, but thankfully I got, I didn't have that issue, but yeah, I can definitely see how having someone pre-negotiated, if you're going to a new LARP, trying to make sure you're going with a buddy. It's like, do you have your exit buddy? Just do you have your safety buddy? Um, yeah. yeah, I can definitely see how that would be a very, very good idea to practice and very helpful in case things go awry, even if it's for the... So, I, I think... Oh, can can yes, I add a short yes, comment? Course, yes. um, I think that there are two things to it. Um, the first being that when you have a, a exit buddy, as you call it, also a good word for it, uh, that, you know, settling on what is actually your expectations to each other. Like if I'm having a off game, bad luck or like something from home stresses me, is that the point where I can go and, and try and, and call a bit on you? Or is it when things in game are a bit slow and boring that I can then call on you? Or is it everything? Um, because as I said, it's not necessarily your best friend from home. So just setting a bit on, you know, how are we buddies for each other? It's a good plan. And the second is that even just having one, um, it's like the, this, uh, the research uh, that has been made on preparation for speeches, that if you are doing a speech, if you have it written in the, on a paper in your back pocket, uh, no matter if you use it or not, it will decrease uh, nervousness and you know fear of uh, failing and not succeeding. I think it's around 30% or something like that. And um, it's my impression that even just having a agreed on kind of you know safety bug out exit buddy something, has a bit of the same effect. You might never need it, but it's also because that possibly you know that you have it, which means that you get less stressed and you don't fear a crash as much because you have a backup plan. You're safe. No. So I think this this all of this sort of leads to an interesting question, um, which is, you know, at the end of LARP, you have this whole get-together and, and the, the, the debriefs, and usually you do the, you know, the, the things I liked about your character... And and usually you focus more on the positive and, and very rarely on the negative. But every so often there's that one negative thing about a character that just bothered you for, for, for whatever reason. It was a deep down, you know, disturbing thing. If, if I mean, it's, uh, two good examples would be, you know, for me, if it was going to be the Americans at Fairweather Manor, it was the fact that they played them as some weird combination of the Dukes of Hazard meets the Beverly Hillbillies, which are, are, you know, two really sort of comedic sitcom things, um, you know, and 
the girl who who played the bride at Fairweather, and the really funny thing is, I mentioned this to her later, and you know we've since become very good friends. She was on the first episode of of um, from Adventure to Innkeeper as well as one of the the people that I interviewed for that, and I'll be bringing her back later for for a, one of our future topics. But you know, it was the fact that her her British accent was like so horribly affected that I just couldn't get past the accent to get to the character, even though it was an interesting character. And, you know, there's, there's never really a good way to deal with that in LARP because the debrief is usually let's focus on all the positive aspects. So how would you two like to see those kind of things be dealt with? Peter, do you prefer to go first, or would you prefer I do? Um, I'm trying to form a uh, thought, so I would prefer if you went first. Cool, absolutely. Um, the the thing uh, that, that comes to my mind right now is that I actually approach it in a slightly different way than uh, focusing purely on the positive. I developed a debrief system previously for, for large and very emotionally intense labs. That's also based on a bit of experience from psychologists that work with soldiers returning from war, for instance, which is, again, the extreme out there. But that is uh, having been somewhere, have had experiences and seen things and felt things that you then need to put away to then make more room for you here and now. So some of that, uh, I worked into it, and I actually start with uh, taking some of the negative because I, I made a five-point debrief circle where the first one is that you have a little box with paper next to it where you write a negative thing that you would like to leave at this place. Uh, it can be that, you know, you think the breakfast was horrible. It might be that, you know, your teacher's hair was miserable, made you remind of your school teacher. It might be that, you know, for some reason, the weather fucked you. Anything or a heavy relation that went entirely wrong. And then people write on that one uh, the bad thing and put it in the box. And I make very clear that everything in that box is going to get burned. Nobody's going to read it. Nobody's going to, you know, anything on it. It is going to be destroyed, never to be seen by anyone. So you kind of take the bad into the front of your head and then focus, okay, that was the bad, writing it down, putting it in the, the burn box, and it's going to go. It's going to, you're never going to see it again. To try and materialize and remove those things. And after that thing, going around with the other four points, bringing you gradually more and more to the person that you are uh, from the character, like writing a positive wall and ending the character's story and talking about some experiences and then closing more and more into you going from the character and removing the bad first. So I've had I have success with that so far and it's absolutely not the only way to do it, but it shows that there's a lot of different ways, I think, to process and work with the, the debrief or the after effects um, of and all the things you experienced there. I, I, I really like that. That actually probably would have been very, very helpful at that particular LARP. Hmm. Well, you're welcome to invite me to other, I, you know, help out at several LARPs and unions and companies with that. So always glad to travel and do more stuff for the community and environment. Um, yeah, I... Debrief. Um, for me, the only experience I've had is because I've only done it with one company. So we also do something very similar where it's what something you like about you, what something you like about your character. I'm trying to sort of separate that. Um, but if there is something 
negative that was really, really bothering you, I think that it might almost help to um, try to at some at some point during game, um, maybe have an out of character conversation with someone about it um, to maybe try to get some feedback about like, hey, uh, do you like, how are you dealing with this? Do you have any advice for how I can to maybe um, help the game as it's going versus just dealing with it after the fact? Um, like, if there's one thing that's just really, really bothering you and taking you out of it, um, it can help to have a conversation with someone um, to sort of maybe um, try to get the best experience you can out of the game and if that's maybe um not having as much play with that character then so be it just as long as you communicate that's not like hey it's not that i'm trying to exclude you or something it's just try to have an open communication with them um to make sure that they know it's nothing that they did necessarily it's not like a personal play against them it's more of just a hey this is what's going on um this is why i'm acting like this towards you um if it's something like that uh if it's but that i would say only really do that if it's really really affecting your overall game um versus maybe just try to push it aside and um really try different ways of working past it and definitely have conversations with like if you have your buddy with you um maybe having that out of conversation with your buddy and being like hey how are you coping with this is this bothering you as much as it's bothering me and if it is how are you dealing with it so yeah i think that's a really good idea and definitely if, if possible uh, and can be taken up along the way i would also recommend that that's part of because what i say that emotional safety to me is not just that you can that you have knowledge of trauma prevention and can stop if people have a full-blown panic attack that's the extremes but emotional safety is also implementing communication tools so people if they feel during the game that something is uh, kind of upsetting the experience or the fun that there is a established way of actually taking that up with somebody in a respectful way and that, that indicates that hey i actually want to you know in a positive way try and clear this out both for you and me so both get a better experience together and because a lot of people are often a bit afraid to do that just on their own out of the blue especially if you have let's say a lab where you have people from five continents and 10 countries then it's very different on what is just a polite open approach to hey you're a nice guy this might uh, trigger me a bit or uh, kind of be a bit not fun for me can we have a short talk if you're okay with that because people are a bit nervous about that so established ways for to do that exactly in the way you do is some of the things i also always recommend implementing to give people tools to make the experience better for themselves and for the other players no, and I think that's very true. It was uh, so I, I I mentioned the American family specifically because they were supposed to be Southern aristocrats, and my my wife comes from the southern part of the country, and she had one of those things as well, where it was one thing that the father character said that that I don't want to say it annoyed her, but she found it hysterically funny because he was misusing a a southern expression. 
Um, so there's a Southern expression that, um, and now of course I'm going to completely forget what it is. Um, there, there, there's a there's a southern expression that sounds like they're being very polite to you, but but in the end, it's basically a way of telling you to, you know, go screw yourself. And politely, it, politely, right? But he kept using it not in that fashion, but in the fashion of what the words actually mean. Mm. And it didn't get the real value across on and, it. Yeah, and and like every time he said it, my wife's only response was to roll her eyes. And so she came up to me that first night and she's like, how are you dealing with this? Cause he keeps saying this and, and it's just wrong. And I'm like, yeah. So my recommendation is take two steps away and just laugh into your hand for about two minutes and, and it'll go over. Trust me. And so that's what she did for the rest of the LARP. Like every time after he said it, she's just like, excuse me for a moment and just walked away and literally laughed about it. Cause it was, it was one of those bless your heart. That's what it is. The expression is bless your heart, which sounds like a really nice thing to say to someone, but it really means screw you. I hate your guts. And I don't think somebody just sneezed if they, you know, kind of were told that. Uh, right, exactly. <laughs> so, you know, but she's from the South, so she gets that connotation. And, and the guy was trying to do it and it was just driving her nuts because the only thing she heard when he said it was go screw yourself. So, you know, and, and, and uh, you know, my, my comment to her was, look, you know, we're, we're, we're dealing with a bunch of people from Europe who haven't lived in the South, who don't know that, you know, this is what the expression necessarily means. You know, they've heard it once or twice on, on maybe a TV show somewhere because it's used frequently. And, and they just, they, they miss the subtlety of the expression because it's not part of their culture. So, you know, just take take it as as them telling a joke and just take that step away and give yourself a laugh about it and i think that helped her quite a bit because it helped her get through that entire that entire weekend um but it it does bring up the other concept that we've sort of been skirting around the entire time which is bleed and 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 i think that that you know again that larp was a good one because she had a she had this one moment where the bleed sort of kicked in in her brain until her brain basically said, wait a minute, this has to be a LARP thing and not a real thing. Um, and her character was an actress. Uh, but in real life, she was, a tr- she, she was an ER trauma nurse. And she was talking to the character that was a doctor. And one of the household servants ran up to the doctor and said, Oh my God, this guy's had a heart attack. And the second she heard it for like a good 20 seconds, her brain just immediately kicked into trauma mode and she's trying to process the situation because, you know, she went from being this actress to being this trauma nurse. And then she's looking at the situation. Her brain is processing it. And she's like, okay, no, they ran up to the doctor. They didn't run up to me. This has to be part of the LARP. I can go back to being the actress now. Um, but it, it, it sort of brings up that whole, that, that whole bleed issue. And, and my, my experience earlier with, with um, Lucy's character is another good example of that. So what, what are your thoughts on, on bleed and, and bleed for positive and bleed for negative? Mm, yeah. Would you like to start Peter? Yeah, I can start for sure. Um, I get, 
awful bleed. Um, and I think that's because I specifically use my characters as a way of working through things that I'm trying to work through in my day-to-day -day life. Um, I think it's because I use LARP as uh, almost a form of therapy. So I get intense and awful bleed every single time. Um, and I think that um, like there can definitely be good parts of it where um, because the way that I played my werewolf character, Sebastian, and having him be physically trapped between two things, it actually really, really helped me with um, how I deal with my gender dysphoria and trying to sort of accept it and accept my body as it is. Um, and sometimes I still, even though I haven't played him in months and months and months, I still get a little bit of bleed from him. When I start having those thoughts, my brain kicks back into, well, how have we positively dealt with these in the past? And it, the answer is um, Sebastian. And so because of that, it's given me, it's given me um, this sort of using positive bleed as a coping mechanism, even months later. Um, and remembering sort of how I've positively dealt with it in the past. Um, but bleed can also definitely be negative. Um, if you have a very emotionally heavy scene, um, afterwards, it can be really, um, like after the LARP, all those emotions can come hit you. Um, it might be days after, it might be weeks after, but sometimes it takes your brain a long time to actually process and, um, definitely making sure that you have like a debrief buddy, I find really helps deal with negative bleed or even positive bleed. Um, but yeah, I get a lot of bleed from my character and I assume that I will continue to do that, um, but I don't necessarily consider that a bad thing. It's just because I'm dealing with something so personal to me through that character. Um, so I don't think it's gonna change and I don't really feel reason to change it. So that's sort of my thoughts with it. Yeah, um, I agree with you that bleed is definitely something that can be used for positive, uh, no doubt about that. Um, and I think, can I comment on, on how you use it? Are you okay with that? Absolutely. Yeah. Um, because I think that the way that you use it, it started out with bleed, but then you worked it over into a regular kind of thing to, you know, have as a, a defensive mechanism, which is adapting, which is beautiful and shows how you use bleed to grow as a person and love in general, um, which I can only you know say is awesome. Um, I think with the, the bleed also that there's a, a thing that uh, there's two types of bleed usually uh, because the first is the bleed in which is where the person and traits from that bleed into the character and then bleed out where things from the character go out into you where bleed in you often see that at the during the lap like if two people show up and one hates the other uh, with all their guts and they're thinking oh bless your heart all the time then that would likely affect the other person. Um, that would affect their relation. This character would likely be a bit less positively 
uh, inclined to the other one and would think, bless your heart, like five times an hour at least. Um, despite that the characters don't have a relation, then it's the players uh, that have bleed in that gets affected by that. Well, bleed out is exactly as you say, that when after the LARP and the experiences that the character had with you, funnily enough, at the steering wheel, kind of get heavy and you need to process those. Um, that is a, a, can for some, for most be a really, really heavy uh, experience. Um, people usually, is my experience, kind of get better at it and learn how to compartmentalize a bit um, and take parts at a time and know if they prefer to, for instance, have some debrief talks with some of those they played the most with. Or if they, for instance, played at a, a event where they were part of a large group, then the group does a joint debrief or the event does a full debrief. Some prefer just to be a bit on their own. And I think for a lot of people, it takes a bit of time to learn uh, how you kind of cope with that best afterwards. Um, and also for different situations. If you've been at a crazy action lab, then that might be different than if you're at a deep, emotional, uh, close, intimate lab. Yeah. Um, about otherwise, I think the, the thing with bleed is that you prevent most of it, not after the lab, to be honest, but before the lab, uh, by actually figuring already, like setting up framework for how you work with people. Like if you play uh, a lot of heavy, intimate relations with themes like abuse or loss or other things like that, that the people that you play with, you coordinate a bit beforehand, like how far can I go? Uh, what are your boundaries? What is up and down? Because when you have that established, then there's also a good chance that afterwards you sit with less of a chance of feeling a bit like you've been a assault person and, you know, hurt people because you've already established the, the playground beforehand. So it takes a bit of the potential um, self-inflicted guilt afterwards away because you have a framework that's established that shows that you agreed on this and you stayed within it. Um, of course, not everything can be predicted and surprises may occur, but it might take some of it at least. So I think it's, you need to prepare on bleed before the event itself, where some think that it's just, as long as you have a debrief, everything's awesome, which can be, but I think it's smarter to do a, a full holistic approach on that one at least. Yeah. I, I also find it very interesting that, that you know, how, how different people experience bleed. Um, you know, the the... I've generally said that that for most LARPs I've gone to, aside from a little bit of the bleed in based on the characters that I've chosen, I haven't really had a lot of bleed after the LARP or a lot of, I guess, emotional connection to the LARP after the LARP. But interestingly enough, the one LARP that that really sort of hit me hard afterwards and in, in very positive ways um, was College of Wizardry. And and I don't know if it was because of how insanely amazing it was, um, you know, because, the, you know, and, and a lot of that is is not only the LARP itself, but, but the players were just so incredible. And the venue was, I mean you're playing wizards in a castle from, from the 1300s with actual secret passages in a dungeon. I mean, how cool is that? You know, yeah. and, and, and a lot of those feelings and emotions stuck around for, uh, you know, a good, like two or three weeks afterwards. Now you did a, 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 um, a discord session that was, that was, uh, that popped up after yeah. that LARP. Um, a debrief a uh, bit after, yeah. 
yeah, that that was actually very helpful. We were we were we had gone to an event uh, on um, out in Worcester that we'd hoped would sort of be like a good step down from College of Wizardry because it was a Wizards Yule Ball, and it just turned out that it was so incredibly cheesy that if anything, it just heightened the fact that oh my god, we're missing out on this amazing experience. And your your debrief was the morning after that event. Well timed, I see. Very well timed. Yeah. So Sarah Kate put it on her phone. We put her phone through the car through the car speaker, and it was it was very helpful. I mean, it 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 was just listening to others in that instance was very helpful. And it's the first time that that I've ever come out of a LARP sort of with that that feeling and and it was I don't know how to describe it aside from the fact that for me it felt very bizarre because it's not something that I've generally had from other LARPs yeah I think that goes a bit to show how LARP helps everybody to develop uh, themselves because it's not a matter of how much you've experienced or how long you've done or anything it is there is something to learn from everything I believe and especially at LARPs if you're 20, 30, 60, however old, and you blab for 2, 10, 30, 50 years isn't the thing. It's who you play with, what you play, how you go into it. That kind of gives the full, uh, you know, what that determines how much you get out of it. And again, experience there shows that I did both the debrief at the lab and then also the one uh, two weeks after, which was a um, to pick up those who, you know, process a bit more and then get hit because debrief can or uh, bleed can also take days to appear. To some, it's immediately hammered. And a last actually thing with bleed that I that I've noticed um, over the last, over recently or over the last few years, is that there's a very non-spoken of tendency sometimes, or um, slight taboo almost, about people who don't feel any bleed uh, that they sometimes after a lap. They see everybody else crying and hugging and being very emotional, and they don't really feel any of the bleed, which gives them a feeling of being wrong or not having played intensely enough or hard or other stuff like that, which I think is an, an interesting development because that is a bit playing into the whole FOMO, fear of missing out stuff. And it's something I do also try to take in now when, when to talk about labs and preparing people for it, that some people get very large after effects, some get none, you're both cool, to make sure that we approach and include everybody on that part. No. No, and I think that's I think that's very fair. Um, and and it, you know, it, it, like I said, it, it's just interesting because it was the first LARP that I ever had that I felt like that much bleed out of, and it was it was just a weird feeling for me in in general. So, but um, I think that this has been an excellent discussion, and I would love to continue for hours. Uh, Can I ask a last question? uh, Yes, of Um, course. Of course. Yeah. You say it was a very bizarre experience afterwards. Would you say it was a good or a bad one when you look back on it now? Looking back on it, I would say that it was a very good experience. Um, it, it, It prepared me a lot for the next LARP that I did. Um, where, where the LARP itself was not what I expected. Um, but we, we had chosen the LARP. 
A, because the theme interested us, and B, because the venue was just, I mean, unsurpassable. But the LARP itself was not what I expected, and it was the kind of LARP where, had I gotten more immersed in the character, there might have been a lot of bleed coming out of it. But be- but because the LARP was not, it wasn't run the way that, that it gave you a chance, in, in my opinion, to explore your character, it, 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 I was sort of ready for a lot of bleed and didn't have any. Or the only bleed that I had was that I just didn't like the LARP, I guess, you know. So I was just a bit curious about your looking back on experiencing the, the mysterious kind of bleed thing, having laughed for a lot of years and then getting it for the first time. I was a bit curious just on the reflection there, but that answered very well. Yeah, I, you know, and, and it wasn't a ba- and it wasn't a bad experience. It was it was in a sense a very positive experience and it sort of told me that, you know, this is this is the kind of LARP that I'd happily experience again. So, cool. Thanks for right. answering. Yeah, no, not a problem. Um, like I said, I, I mean, I, I would love to continue this discussion for hours, but unfortunately, our our time is coming to a close. Um, so, I would like to thank both Peter and Bastian for joining us today. So, thank thank you both for coming on. Thank you for having me. Um, And thank you, of course, to our listeners for tuning in to this episode of From Adventure to Innkeeper, a podcast for all LARPers. Um, Our next episode, which releases on the 20th of September, is going to look at professionalization of LARP. Um, This will be covering topics of how people are turning LARP into into full-time careers, how companies are now setting themselves up as professional LARP organizations um, to run LARP and LARP-related events, how people are turning other careers into LARP-related careers, like in artwork or things like that. Um, so again, I would like to thank Bastian and Peter for joining me live on this show. Uh, I am your host, Martin, and thank you for listening to us today. And uh, we would like to thank our sponsor, Mal Books, and additionally, we would like to thank uh, Lex Media for the use of their Fred Moth- uh, Rothmel Memorial Podcast Studio. Please check out their link on our website at adventurertoinkeeper.com. <laughs>